Welcome to Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. Back again this week. Every week we're talking about tech, games, digital culture, all that sort of stuff and whatever else might jump into our brains. But look, let's face it, when we mention tech, games, digital culture, basically the entire world fits <laughs> under that umbrella. And I'm joined by Nick. How are you? I'm good. Look, we can't promise all three. You can have tech and digital culture. You can have digital culture and games. You're not necessarily going to get all three. That's all I'm saying. That's true. That's true. Digital culture is not a subset of games, but games is a subset of digital culture. Yeah, I'm, the Venn diagram of our topics is just confusing me already, but yeah, we'll just roll with it. And Everything look, Venn diagrams are also a valid topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look, anyway... To then completely deviate, Nick, I wanted to start the show with a question without notice, but it, I notice it does actually kind of lead into the first thing you did want to talk about. <clears throat> Batman, eye makeup. What's your feeling? He's always worn eye makeup. Why is everyone having this problem? He's always worn eye makeup. You can see it every time you look at his mask. He's got eye makeup on. What people are angry about is that Robert Patterson makes it look good. <laughs> That's what everyone's upset about. You look at Robert Patterson, you're like... Why am I not getting the smoky eyes? You look at Christian Bale, you're like, he's just got grease paint on to cover up his mask. Otherwise, it'd look really, really weird. But Robert Patterson, you're like, I remember back in the 90s when I never left the house with that eyeliner on. Do I need to go back to that? Can a 46-year-old man leave the house with eyeliner on living in Dubbo? I don't know. I might find out this week. But, yeah, I'm all for it. I feel like if you if you had just the right haircut like Robert Pattinson does, then... You know, then I think you'd pull it off just fine. But I are I, you suggesting that some kind of gothic cowboy look is not the thing I should be going for? <laughs> well, look, try it on. Share the pictures <laughs> online. I'm sure people will happily vote on a Twitter poll on on how how the look is working for you. Um, I genuinely don't think I've had eyeliner on since a Lizzie's about four years ago, and that would have been the last time I popped on the guy liner. Yeah, man. I feel like. Um, I feel like it's been probably since the 90s because I'm like, oh, no, no, maybe there was one in the 2000s there somewhere. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody should try it at some point because, man, when you do it right, it looks good. Let's face it. Um, Shout out to Tim Minchin, my look, fellow yeah. long-haired <laughs> eyeliner guy. Thanks, mate. That's a really you're good doing, point, right? <laughs> so you'd, you're shooting for Pattinson and you arrive at Minchin. <laughs> Is that that's what it's going to do for you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You hope for M and you settle for Skittles. We're we're all there. Yeah, and look, I'm on I'm on your team as well. I have no idea how people are whinging about about the idea. What like that he doesn't instantly take it off when he takes off the the helmet. I mean, it's almost like that idea that we never see people going to the toilet in movies. You know. Uh, but that somehow it's like, oh, well, I mean, we should just assume that he immediately goes in and grabs some eye makeup wipes um, <laughs> before he leaves the bat cave. That's just kind of how it works. Or, you know, not even yeah. clearly. He, I mean, he looks like he's probably even sitting in the bat cave in that little moment that we saw. So, you know, it's just like that. It, you don't take off that, that hood without immediately getting out the uh, makeup wipes. Oh, the battle for the cowl is all about your makeup. Wipes. I mean, clearly, I mean, we don't know the context, but he could be sitting in front of the bat makeup mirror with the bat wipes ready to wipe his bat eyes, and that's it. And that's the complaint that we're bat we're off. seeing the uh, the Batman equivalent of going to the bathroom, and that's yeah, just yeah. not what people want to see. But I I think you're bang on. It's the fact that he yeah. makes it look too hot 
that's what people yeah, are actually upset people about. about. <laughs> For context, I just want to be really clear. I don't think he's going to be a good Batman. I'm not looking forward to the movie. Um, I just don't think we need another one. I'm a bit bat fatigued. Um, you know, Ben Affleck was at the last I could go. He was a terrible Batman. He was an amazing Bruce Wayne. I'll go to the grave saying that. I think he was one of the best interpretations of Bruce Wayne I've ever seen, one of the worst Batman. I don't think Patterson can do either. And I like Patterson. I think he's a good actor. It's not an issue with him. It's an issue with fit for the role. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Don't think I will be. Yeah. So this does lead us into um, there's been a big DC fest. I can't remember what hashtag it was dubbed with. But fandom. Yeah. It was the DC fandom. So yeah, tell us more. What what I was your take idea. on the weekend of events? Because I certainly I had some confused moments in my Twitter where I was seeing Suicide Squad mentioned in one context and the tweet immediately above it was also referencing Suicide Squad, but it was a cool looking game rather than uh a next movie instalment. So it it was pretty nonstop uh DC action all weekend. It was absolutely. And look, my understanding, and I just want to be really clear here, I didn't watch it. I didn't have a huge amount of interest in watching it. What I have a big interest in is whether it worked or not. Yeah. This is an eight-hour event. It's supplanting. It, it's almost like DC's own San Diego Comic Con if it just ran for eight hours. It is meant to be everything. Now, we have seen virtual events. San Diego Comic Con was one of them, I believe, this year. A lot of people have complained that they just don't work the way they're supposed to. I think there's going to be a huge test for CES this year to see if they can make something work in a virtual space. And I'm willing to say that the nature of that show is going to make that incredibly difficult. If they pull something off, it's going to be a miracle. But this is the world now. We need to be concentrating on this. We need to be thinking about those virtual spaces. And from what I have seen, DC FanDome nailed it. A few people have called out that it was for an eight-hour show, it was short and sharp with the bits you were watching. And that's really interesting to me. No turgid panels. Like you and I have been to panel discussions with people we want to see talk and still felt like they were too long, way too long. Like (laughs) even if you've queued up for an hour and you're like, oh, my God, this was a 15-minute panel and now they're saying it's 45 minutes? What what the hell are they doing here? (laughs) We've all been there. So I wouldn't want to watch that in Zoom. That would just be like being stuck in a Zoom meeting. You, Your favourite writers, actors, directors, artists, whomever, they can't make a Zoom meeting interesting if it's going for two hours. They're certainly not going to make an eight-hour one interesting. But what everyone's saying is that, A, having a dedicated green screen, green screen space for the people presenting and then having some of the guest calls come up on those green screen walls was really effective. It gave it a sense of depth and a sense of it was actually taking place somewhere, not just in front of computers. And the other one was it was short. There were interstitial moments. There were fun little things where you had enough time to duck off to the loo and get a coffee and not come back and feel like you were missing huge amounts of stuff. Apparently what it all came down to was the pacing was excellent. And I really hope we can learn something from this because... I hate to say it, we keep talking about when things get back to normal. We have to stop thinking that way. I think we have to start thinking that we're in what's normal now and we need to get adjusted to it. Yeah, that's actually a really, yeah, a really sort of good point about all this because it feels like, you know, obviously we had the first wave of of time where everyone was just kind of pre, you know, just Running and gunning stuff, right? If Okay, we have to do this thing yeah. online now. Um, let's just give it a crack. And what things like DC, I think, are demonstrating is that 
it's all about the pre-planning now rather than that, you know, again, if you're at a live event, yeah, it's like it's there's so much about the atmosphere of just being there that carries the moment. Um, and that even if you're watching online, you know there's like thousands of people there and you wish you were there and it, it kind of changes so much of that feeling. But, uh, yeah, by pre-planning it so well, by having segments so well produced and planned mm-hmm. ahead, um, it means it's, yeah, it's being run as a broadcast rather than as an event and i think that's something that helps a lot i know you know even recently with a uh, a samsung briefing they i thought did a great job of treating it like more like a broadcast you know and it it meant that those kinds of the snappiness of making sure that people's kind of scripting was was well paced and still leaving them plenty of room to kind of just be themselves but knowing that they're trying to kind of do these little sharp sections of delivery to get us the information we needed and then sort of having, you know, space to sort of respond to things, uh, you know, later on in the piece. Um, You also kind of remind me that QuakeCon happened as an at-home event just a couple of weeks ago, and I thought they did also a great job where they kind of still treated it as an event in the sense that, um, you know, that there were kind of all these kind of panels and things, but... You know, any panel, as I guess, you know, in the context of QuakeCon meant, they went, well, we'll get together some kind of cool person who loves this stuff too, but they're going to play one of the, you know, Bethesda games while they have a chat about whatever other thing. So it was like it had more of that Twitch streamer vibe to it, but also they cleverly made it a 24-7 thing of saying, all right, if we're all at home, then let's actually embrace the fact that we have an Australian office. And during those hours when it's the end of the day in the States, then like the Australian office takes control of the stream and engages with the local community and has local communities be part of the stream and like run dungeons in Elder Scrolls Online and do sort of different things to just kind of keep that constant flow um, so that they're like, well, all right, we're at home, we're a global community, let's actually embrace that in a different way. And and I know that's clearly something that PAX is planning to do as well in a few weeks' time yeah. is to, again, make it more of a 24-7 thing um, to kind of make it a global event rather than only being attached to any one place. So it, it does feel like we're kind of really hitting this nice stride now where some of these big events are remembering that, you know, you got to go big if you're going to do it. Um, and it's probably going to actually raise that bar in a way that means maybe some other events kind of go, yeah, we, we just, we can't pretend we're going to give it a try anymore either. But, but that is a really good point because part of, I think, what made this work is that they took it incredibly seriously. This wasn't the B list. This wasn't the backup option. This wasn't just some event. It wasn't, oh, no, it's only virtual now. They took it incredibly seriously and they applied a serious level of production to it. And that's really important. Change your thinking. These are your events now. They're not your B team. They're not your backup. They're what you're doing. Treat it as seriously as you would any other event. Yeah, I think that's such a good way to think about it. And I mean, look, another thing that leaps to mind is the fact that when you sometimes see, you know, and talking about the green screens and things at DC, right? It's that feeling that sometimes, like if you were trying to run one of these events, 
it actually is relatively cheap to say, okay, this is the list of people who are going to be presenting things for us. Let, let's buy them some equipment and send it out. It's almost like a gift for being a presenter at one of these things. Yeah, when it's one of these big events and they've got budget, like DC I'm sure has money. <laughs> oh, last time I checked, yeah, yeah, a buck or two. Um, and they could send everybody, you know, here's the good microphone we're going to send you. Here is the good equipment. Here is the explainer on how to set it up. Here is you know, two great lights that are going to light you nicely. You know, give someone the instructions they need so that if they're isolated and they still need to set this stuff up themselves, but it's like send them the care package so that you're not suddenly having those constant changes between microphone quality and style and people who genuinely are ready to do this stuff versus people who think it is still okay to just talk into their laptop with you know, with the dodgy echo cancellation, trying to manage all of the you know the 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 noise <laughs> feedback, you know, all those kinds of things, because it absolutely still pops up when people aren't thinking about it. But when you see it done well, it's amazing. Actually, um, what's his name? The sheriff from Stranger Things. Yes, David Hopper. Hopper. His name is yeah. A wonderful actor. Anyway, he is great. <laughs> he is great. He was at the D&D event that took place a couple of months ago. David Harbour. David Harbour. Harbour, <laughs> yep. So he, um, yeah, he participated in one of the live play you know, sessions that took place during the D&D uh, Roll for Advantage event a couple of months ago. What was amazing about him and it it's like the old saying that it's like you know if if you go to an event and you turn up in a tux you just make everybody else look bad you know you never look out of place in a tux well he was using what i'm i can i'm you know, i'm not sure what brand it was but he clearly was using a beautiful high-end microphone and he was just sitting back relaxed conversing and he has a great voice anyway and he, it's like every time he spoke, it felt like this amazing voiceover was taking place <laughs> while That's the cool. other people, you know, had their headsets on and stuff. And it wasn't that they sounded bad, but boy, oh boy, did he sound beautiful every time he spoke. And it, you could just feel it. It's like, oh man, he's great. Just, can he just keep talking all the time now, please? Because this is too good. <laughs> and so, yeah, he made everybody so else look bad. Yeah. That's what you need. Yeah. You need someone to make everyone else look bad. No, you need <laughs> you do need those kind of linchpin kind of figures though for something like this. And that's actually really, really cool to hear that they did that so well. Yeah. And yeah, when I do crosses for ABC now and then, like mostly for download this show episodes, um, you know, I know early on they did send out, like they sent out instructions to people, they sent out um uh you know. Uh, tripods that could hold iPhones for people, you know, all that kind of stuff to help people, um, you know, get themselves set up nicely. They didn't send out fancy lights and things, but like I, you know, but they also contacted everybody about it. And so, you know, I've got enough of a setup here that they were like, yep, look, you're okay. Um, But, you know, for other people, I know they did make sure that if they were going to do that and get people to do their video from home, 
um, for that and you know keeping up that ability for them to send uh, segments over to ABC News, then you know it was the kind of thing where it's just a simple check-in, but all right, this person needs a little bit of help. We can send them out a couple of things to help them get set up properly. So stuff like that was just, it's like just little things to plan ahead. Plan ahead. There you go. That's the hot tip for anybody trying to run an online event. Please start planning ahead and not just thinking it's okay because everybody accepts that <laughs> that, it, that times are tricky. <laughs> yeah, just don't phone it in. That's all we're asking. Yeah. Let's talk about the Apple App Store <laughs> because I have been very confused about what's going on with this. I know we've touched on it before. I know there's been some big rumblings lately. Catch me up. Yeah, so um, I, I did definitely want to do a catch-up this week because there's been... Like there's been months of stuff going on, especially the you know the whole Apple App Store um, dramas that have been happening. A few months ago, I felt like it kind of was the first big blip this year was when um, the company that runs Basecamp uh, launched a, which is like very much a business productivity kind of a tool. Uh, they launched Hey.com, which is an email um, service. Actually really, really clever. Um, you know, if you've been looking to escape the Gmail paradigm, then it's a great place to check out. They charge a hundred bucks a year, but essentially, you know, US dollars. So I guess it's, you know, it's 500 Australian dollars, I think by my rough calculation. Um, that No, it's really not. It's really not. Um, but yeah, their whole kind of idea was to really sort of set up, you know, a higher grade concept for how you might interact with your email by complete, it's not, you know, Again, it's not that thing where you just plug it in because it's just a piece of software. It's that idea of if they're running your email, they're able to do a lot more clever management on the email instead of just analyzing you know, your email that lives somewhere else. Um, hmm. But lots of really clever stuff. They put the app on the App Store. It was allowed to go up. Uh, and then when they just were trying to push an update to the app, they got told that actually your app will have to be removed from the App Store because you are a paid service and you don't count as a business service um, because you're targeting consumers uh, and this means that you have payments involved but you're not using the Apple App Store payment system uh, and oh. and therefore if you're not going to support the Apple App Store payment system, uh, then you have to, you're not allowed to be in the App Store. And the big issue being that, you know, as as a business-focused company previously, they had always adhered to the idea that, you know, it is fine to have an app in the Apple App Store that has no payment system in it where you only, you know, it has a login because you've already signed up somewhere else. Over on the web, you've signed up. So the app is just there to give you access to, you know, the tool that you've signed up for elsewhere. And the trick used to always be that if you wanted to do that in the App Store um, and avoid having the Apple payments integration, then you know you just could not mention anything about um, where to sign up or you know how much it costs or anything like that. And it's like I think that was always a pretty fair balance because it's like, all right, you're not mm. using payments, therefore Apple's not going to kind of help promote you and do all sorts of you know helpful stuff that they're not going to get paid for. So you just if you avoid mentioning anything about how you sign up and it is all about you doing your own marketing somewhere else, then, you know, that always felt like a pretty reasonable balance to me. But they have very clearly started to crack down on this idea that there are only 
a very limited number of exceptions to that rule. And I kind of hate the idea that there's exceptions to that rule, you know, is kind of a big thing that pisses off a lot of developers as well, right? So as it's heated up, we've had, we've now had Epic Games kind of get involved with having a big giant fight with Apple in the App Store by kind of sliding through. I think we might have touched on this one last week, but it's like they slid through an update to Fortnite. In fact, they basically put it in a previous update and it was somehow triggered remotely that this payment... So they were all about breaking the rules of the App Store, right? And, you know, Epic slipped through this thing to to dodge past the Apple App Store payment system and try to frame it as like, look, we're giving you, the user, a discount if you pay through our system instead. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, they knew they were going to get kicked out. And then they're like, oh, what, Apple? It's like taking away your discount. Isn't this horrible? Um, That's its own kind of drama. But then just over the weekend, and this is kind of the reason that I've like, it's like I've just been so tired that I haven't wanted to really talk about it. But then they had this running with WordPress <laughs> over the right. They've had this running with WordPress over oh. the weekend. And it was all rectified before the weekend was over, right? But it's the fact that they've taken this aggressive stance on if you have anything that relates to payments in or around your service, and if that service doesn't meet one of our very special criteria, then you are no longer allowed to be on the App Store unless you put our payment system in and give us that 30% cut of whatever the thing is happening. Now, the trick with WordPress is, yes, WordPress, the app, is run by Automatic, which is the makers of WordPress.com and sort of very much the custodians of all the code that goes into WordPress. But WordPress is an open source set of tools and that app is usable by anybody, and it's like the primary way that you use WordPress, no matter where you run your WordPress website. But the fact right. that Apple was kind of saying, you you will not be able to update this app that is all about access to you know privately installed free open source tools because the company that makes this app also has a service that lets you buy domains and buy premium services over here on wordpress.com and it's not okay anymore. You have to give us the cut of all this stuff or this app will be considered invalid. Now, like, again, by the end of the weekend, Apple was like, yeah, look, we've made a mistake on that one. This shouldn't have been flagged in this way. Um, let's, you know, let's move forward and, and resolve this. Um, it's just the fact that the aggressive stance is there that even caused this to happen. And I feel like personally, my big issue is, you know, I'm all about, like, I love that the Apple App Store is kind of, it's is a really well protected store, you know, in many regards. Um, you know, the, the risks to installing something that's going to actually, you know, harm you in some way or break your phone or like, or just, you know, create malware or be, you know, one of, you know, I know like Android can sometimes have its issues with going, well, that's like a knockoff version of this other app that was created just to try to get some mis- mistaken installs, you know, in the space of a couple of days to put malware on somebody's phone. It's like that kind of stuff just isn't possible in the Apple App Store. But I feel like this is now entering that territory where they could end up losing those protections if in upcoming court cases, because yes, Epic is you know absolutely going to, um, is taking this, you know, all the way to antitrust type cases um, that they could get themselves 
you know, in a court hearing told, well, you ha- you do have a monopoly on your platform and therefore they might get forced to let other people essentially run pseudo app stores within their ecosystem. And it's like that that would be worse for everybody. But the primary reason people are arguing about it is not because the app store is so well controlled. It's because of the way the financial stuff and the payment systems are controlled. And that's kind of the thing where I'm like, man, don't ruin the good stuff just to start chasing these like little edges of the financial stuff. But they do, and we know that. We've seen this company do it before. They get very protective of anything that involves the bottom line, and I get that. They're a company. They're publicly listed. That matters. But it's taken away a lot of their latitude, and God help me, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's taken away a lot of the perception of them having any heart. It makes them look evil. (laughs) <laughs> see, I'm, I'm I'm not going to agree with you there, but I I do see that. <laughs> look, you know, Google worked out how to really look evil, you know, and yeah, oh god, yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong, I'm not saying that they're alone on that, but yeah, I definitely what uh, what I agree with is that idea that you know that in in the past couple of years, I thought Apple was really carving out a brilliant stake on that idea of of we are here to protect like user privacy, that you pay more for our device, but on that basis, it's like you are our customer, not an advertising arm of our company. Like that was a great play against Google's position where it's like, yeah, we'll, we give lots of things away for free, but it's all about collecting data and targeting ads. Um, Apple kind of started genuinely adding more features that were about the protection of privacy. And you're like, that's a really good space for them to fight in. This kind of stuff starts to absolutely detract from that idea because it it stops being that idea of going, the app store is really well guarded and well protected because it helps you to, you know, have a more controlled environment for apps. It's like the more developers that start kind of saying out loud, we've been caught up in this issue of not even being allowed to up to, you know, to issue a security update to our app oh. because we haven't we haven't ticked a couple of boxes and Apple now wants a slice of our revenue uh, that we never kind of wanted to have to push through there in the first place. It's like that's the kind of stuff that starts to go, wait, this isn't necessarily about the user anymore. And and it's like if you lose that laser focus on who the customer is and and start trying to squeeze more money out of the developers, then absolutely it starts to kind of, they start to lose that focus. And Actually, I loved in this in the court case. Just to jump into the thing about Epic and Apple because just a couple of days ago, they had this first fight, and it was that you know that was a, a hearing for um, I can't remember what a TRO stands for, and it's such a stupid thing that I can't remember. But basically, it was a oh, temporary restraining order. So it was the oh, idea hmm. that you know Epic uh, in its suit against Apple, and you know having had Fortnite kicked out of the App Store, but then Apple also kind of went to the next step of going, you know, Epic has been so egregiously abusive of the terms of service that we're kicking out all of their developer accounts, which includes Unreal Engine, which, you know, many other developers rely on in order to run their apps. Um, Epic kind of went, well, we want a restraining order that until we have this court case, uh, yeah, we should be allowed to continue to operate in the App Store. The judge, uh, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, uh, 
was amazing. And this was mm. this really great moment, which was like, yeah, let's let's you know, let's watch two really, really big companies argue over who's the most aggrieved while she sits there basically kind of going, you know, you're all giant companies and I don't really see how this stuff is like seriously harming your reputation and all the, like it was just <laughs> such a great, you know, let's just kind of stop pretending that we're all so you know, grievously harmed here. Um, and because it was all done through a, you know, an online video call, um, there were these amazing moments where, where she like mutes one of the councils and going, I have the right to mute you. It is my, it's my prerogative. I can mute you. <laughs> She's basically making them just <laughs> shut up. Um, and, you know, on, and like ended up making what was the very sensible decision, which was, you know, Epic doesn't get a temporary restraining order against the removal of Fortnite because she was like going, you, you basically, you did this to yourselves. Like you can't sit there and say, you know, you are being irreparably harmed in the meantime when all you need to do is change one piece of code and you're back in, uh, you know, you're back in line with Apple's policies and then you can just get on with serving your customers. Like there is nothing about this that is not easy for you to fix right now while we have these court cases down the line. Um, and then on the other side, it was like going, you know, Apple, you're overreaching on banning all these other Unreal accounts, um, you know, that that is clearly a, uh, you know, a like retribution action rather than, you know, some kind of thing related to the same thing. And it was like all the lawyers on both sides kind of throwing all their best weasel words at the judge who was just sitting there going like, I see through you all. Can we just get on? <laughs> it was great. It was so good to just watch somebody go. All you fancy high-paid lawyers, yep, you're doing your best to use all your big words, but I'm just going to shut you down. And I can see actually very clearly where the comfortable middle line sits here to make everybody happy, um, and it was great. Look, we should wrap this one up with just a couple of quick yes. things. I just You're making me remember seven years ago doing a bit of work for ZDNet, um, who we were working next to at the time, covering Apple trying to get the trademark of App Store in Australia and then bringing in linguists and making huge arguments. And there's nothing Apple won't do to protect what it sees as its legal rights. It's always been interesting to watch how they go into court. It's a little bit like Mr. Burns pressing a button and there's 30 lawyers behind the wall just waiting <laughs> yeah. to go. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And you also mentioned that Apple like to take their slice. 30% is a lot. If, if, if you gave me a pie and said I took a quick slice and you'd taken 30%, <laughs> I might assume I was getting your leftovers. Yeah, but, you know, look, it, it is the case that it's exactly the same that the Google App Store charges or Google Play Store takes the same cut. Um, yeah, the difference being you can sideload and you can avoid the App Store, the you know, Google Play Store in that way. I mean, you know, it's obviously a thing that your Fortnite pulled the same stunt on the Play Store and also got themselves kicked out of the Play Store at the <laughs> same time. Um, but, you know, and I think one of the best arguments that has come up about this actually is that Epic is not challenging the authority of, you know, PlayStation and Xbox and Nintendo from taking their 30% cut of all transactions that take place on those platforms. So, you know, it's that idea. It is a pretty, it's a pretty universal 30%. But what Epic is really targeting here is that idea that Apple has such control over its app store that they really want to kind of go all the way in this fight to say Apple has to 
open this up in a different way. I like I think in the for the long term interests of their app store, I feel like going it would be Brilliant to see them. Well, it almost feels like, right, the heels are dug in now, that it's almost too late. But it, I would have been oh, very yeah. happy to see them turn around and go, actually, yeah, you know, we don't need to be the 30% app store. We can be the you know 15% app store. And 15%, I think, is or 12% is what Epic charges on its uh, you know store on PCs. Um, so, you know, there's definitely paths that could make this a lot smoother. I really still feel like that the best path could be for them to just just go back to that thing of saying, you know what, if you want to not have any payments in your app and you just let someone log in with a login they created outside the app store, then that's fine. You're now having to market to those people in your own space outside of the biggest, you know, mobile platform again okay android's bigger the biggest mobile platform that people actually spend money on and don't just do all the free stuff um yeah anyway yeah we could we could go on and on we shouldn't <laughs> all right you've sold me i agree all platforms are broken we need to crack it all up and start from the beginning it's all over it's all over right Look, i've got a tip mine's really really quick so i'll throw it in okay. at the end you used oh. Vive Sync. Oh, how was that? What I was did. That like? So yes, it's like it's a weird tip, but it was a thing I got to do this week, and I actually feel like this really does have a place in the future. It was honestly amazing. amazing. Um, so I caught up with uh, Thomas from HTC here in Australia. Um, I interviewed him yeah, a while back on um, on Jetpacks, and yeah, we finally had this catch up and. Again, to hear it talked about, and that's why I don't want to go on sort of too long, but it's, you talk about the idea of having essentially a video conferencing call, except it's VR, and you're like going, mm, yeah, but you know mm-hmm. what, what does it really add? Um, it was actually amazing to kind of go into this space and you suddenly realise that it is absolutely far more of a real sense of connection than you get through Zoom calls and just you know, video calls through our screens and that sense of actually being present, uh, you know, and giving all of your attention to what is taking place in the meeting. Because once we're in the space, it's like you then you have an avatar of yourself and you create the avatar through like a web interface when you sign up to create your ViveSync account. And then once you're in there, it's like it's tracking your hand movements because you're holding the controllers. And so mm-hmm. if you're standing there kind of gesticulating, having a conversation with somebody, you're like the hands are moving exactly in sync with the way you're moving your hands. And it's not lip synced, but it is responding to, you know, the speech that you're making and just kind of flapping the lips of the, the face <laughs> in a way that's like close enough that you sort of genuinely, like with all those slight head gestures, because again, it's tracking completely all of the kind of slight movements of your head on that avatar. That hmm. it really is suddenly that sense of yeah, I'm standing here talking. Yes, it's not the actual person, but it is a very clear representation of a real person in real time. And it was really engaging. It meant you know when I'm standing there, when Thomas was talking to me, and I'm looking at him, it's like well he knows I'm looking at him and not looking at some device that's near me, because if you have to kind of be right there in that moment, he's looking at me when he's talking to me. You can also bring up like these giant presentation wall that can kind of appear, um, and then he could be standing there beside a presentation or like a video. Um, and 
again, you're kind of looking at the screen and you're looking at him in exactly the way you would in a meeting room. And then you can also pop up uh, a, a number of different tables. So you could have like a four-person table or a six-person table and you kind of, you know, in that way that uh, you, like in the Fallout game VR where you kind of, you know, you zap the ground to teleport. It's like yeah. you can just kind of teleport your way around the the meeting space and then you can sort of teleport yourself into a chair and then you can all be kind of sitting around a conference table talking. And again, like everybody who's in the room you can see where they're putting their visual attention. You know, are they looking at the person who is speaking? Are they looking off randomly? Um, you know, whatever it might be, you can kind of, like it is absolutely about that presence. And then it kind of even has an auditorium mode where you could have up to 30 people kind of sitting on these like auditorium steps to watch a presentation taking place. Um, he was able to even bring in a, like a 3D model of a, like a Ford, focus or you know some kind of forward hatchback and you can kind of look at it up close in detail everybody has access to like a laser pointer essentially so you can point at things you can even draw in like 3d space if you want to kind of point an arrow at something or highlight something and like all these kind of little tools there that it just takes it to such a different level to the zoom calls and things that we've been having to kind of deal with. And the big one was actually watching a video as well, right? Because how many times have you sat in a zoom meeting and somebody has basically turned around and gone, Oh, like now we'll just play this video. And then there's like three minutes of fussing about when they realize that the screen sharing is not made for playing videos. And so you're only seeing every 10th frame and it's a giant mess. And then they finally give up after a while and go, well, we'll send out a link to the video later. And you're like, so this is actually designed to play a video for you if that's what you wanted to do. But I loved it. It really was impressive. And, you know, I had to set up, you know, go and stand in my uh, VR rig in my living room to get it working. Yeah. But yeah, for Thomas, he was like, he was using the new like Vive Index, which is just like a standalone device. So he can essentially pop that on his head while sitting there at his desk and just instantly join a meeting, but have a completely different experience to having to join a Zoom call from his desk. So I like, I totally am on board with what the potential of this is. And it really is just that case now of, you know, once the, the headset technology gets kind of to that right place, then this sort of thing is totally something I think people would adopt over and above being forced to do, yeah, Zoom calls all week. All right. I'm genuinely impressed. I I, I assumed it might be still a bit clunky, but I, I'm going to take your word on that. Yeah, one. as a beta. Amazing as yeah. a beta. <laughs> it, it is interesting you mentioned Zoom calls because mine relates weirdly to that. Oh, so okay. Tip, grab your phone right now and download Shudder. Now, that is the horror streaming service that yep. has just launched in Australia. You'll get, I think, five days, seven days uh, freebie. Grab it and watch The Host. It is a very tight 57-minute horror film entirely set in a Zoom call. Oh, and wow. Excellent. I've seen it done before. There was Unfriended. There was the sequel, Unfriended Dark Web. I haven't seen it done as well as The Host. It is chilling it's clever it maintains the conceit really really well it plays with what it means to be in a zoom call like so some of the horror cues are related back to what that would be like for people watching it's just great take your 57 minutes watch it and there's plenty of other great stuff on shutter as well so there you go that's me 
Yeah, I haven't had a chance to dive into Shutter yet. So I'm very uh, like, and that's great to know. Okay, yep, there is something sitting there waiting for me to just dive in and really have a have a nice little freak out. And it feels like actually something that's set in a Zoom call style, almost like well suited to kind of curling up in bed on a tablet <laughs> because suddenly you're like, is. this feels way too real. <laughs> it's perfect. Same with the Unfriended movies. So what's on the screen is as if you were watching a screen and it works actually much better on a tablet or a laptop than it does on a TV. Yeah, so really good point. Awesome. That sounds great. Let's wrap this thing up. Um, Nick, where can people find all your stuff on the internet? Gosh, you can get me at dr underscore Nick, N-I-C. That's Dr. Nick. You can, uh, on the ABC Listen app, you can find me talking on Breakfast on ABC Western Plains. I think you can also catch me on Download This Show this week as well. Hey, awesome. Um, you can catch me on at Seamus on Twitter um, or slash Seamus Burn on the Facebook thing. Um, also <laughs> at Biteside on Twitter, at the Biteside on Instagram and slash Biteside on facebook um and of course email us ask at biteside.com um and we will always you know well always i'm sure i've missed many um i will i'll pay more attention this week and if you have any cool questions or thoughts i will will read them out next week on the show i dare you um and then uh what else look that's all really uh it, thanks for joining us again. I, You know what? I'm going to ask, hey, go and leave a review of us on one of those things, right? Mm. Um, one of those, you know, whatever podcast thing you use. If it lets you review us, go on, leave a review. I've seen one or two. Somebody left us a one-star review somewhere. They didn't leave their name. <laughs> you suck, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're not listening anymore. I mean, it's a one-star review. They must have quit. <laughs> Go on, overpower that horrible one-star review and give us better reviews than that. Uh, thanks do. again, everybody. Thanks again, Nick, for putting up with me being all over the shop. And we will see you all again real soon. <laughs>